ready to watch a match on Facebook. Welcome to How the Pod. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode uh, 329 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly, and I'm joined this week by Andres. Hello, Sam. And English Dan. Hello, and welcome. In English Dan's living room. Uh, if if you can hear a really loud, uh, low clicking in the background, um, uh, then we apologise. Uh, Dan's computer fan's on the way out, and it, it was a bit awkward recording without it a couple of weeks ago, so we're on it now. I can't hear it on the microphone, so hopefully you can. Um, we shall begin the podcast, as ever, by thanking our very generous sponsors, Fanatis, um, who provide live and on-demand streams of the Superliga and the Copa Argentina to audiences around the world outside Latin America. If you're lucky enough to live in the United States of America... Um, lucky in this sense anyway you'll be able to also watch the Copa Libertadores and the Copa Sudamericana live via their time with BN Sports as well as Ligue 1 in France La Liga in Spain and um, some other competitions which I've forgotten Um, you should check them out if you do then please go to www.fntz.co slash hop hand of pod H-O-P uh, so that they know that we sent you. And if you want 20% off the first three months of your subscription, then you can use the code HOPFZ. Thank you very much, as ever, to Fanatis for their support of the podcast. I'm going to read out now the results from the weekend just gone in the Super Liga, uh, which I don't have in front of me because my phone app has skipped to a different page. So give me yes. a second. Uh, where are we? Argentina. Superliga matches. They went as follows. Lanús won. San Martín de San Juan won. By the way, you're going to need a little mental calculator in your head for some of these results, but I will go over what it means for the relegation standings as soon as I finish reading out all the results. Mental calculator in your head. Yes, as opposed to a mental calculator in your hand or a physical calculator in your head. Um, So Lanús 1, San Martín de San Juan 1, Belgrano 3, Patronato de Paraná 0, Newell's Old Boys 1, Tacheres 2 in a match which saw both sides uh, pick up red cards, Um, Godoy Cruz 0, Rosario Central 0, Colón de Santa Fe 1, Racing 1, Boca Juniors 3, San Lorenzo 0, Estudiantes de la Plata 1, Gimnasia y Esgrima La Plata 0, in a match which also saw both teams pick up red cards, a little bit less surprisingly. Independiente 2, Aldo Civi 0, Huracán 1, or really Huracán Reserves 1, San Martín de Tucumán 3, Atlético Tucumán 0, River Plate 1, Tigre 2, Unión de Santa Fe 2, Argentinos Juniors nil, Vélez Sarsfield nil, and Defensa y Justicia three, Banfield two, which means 
I said I'd read the relegation positions first, so we're going to give it the big build-up to the champion, uh, championship race. The relegation positions now are as follows. San Martín de Tucumán are still bottom. They still have fewer than a point a game or under a point a game. Um, not by as much now. They've got 21 points from 22 matches, but they're still going down, basically. Tigre, however, from here on up, it gets a little bit more interesting. Tigre, very much two points dropped from one point of view at home to Union. But they came down from back from 2-0 down to rescue that draw. And it leaves them on 84 points from 79 matches, which is three points behind the three teams above them. San Martín de San Juan, uh, who drew with Lanús. And then, of course, Belgrano and Patronato played each other and Belgrano won the match, which leaves Belgrano, Patronato and San Martín de San Juan all tied on 87 points from 79 matches. If the relegation table were to finish with everybody exactly as they are at the moment, um, then Belgrano, Patronato and San Martín de San Juan, because those are three teams and there are only two positions um, to fill in the relegation zone with Tigre and San Martín de Tucumán underneath them, uh, those three sides would have to play a mini-league to break the tie. So we are on course for some kind of tiebreaker. And we might be on course for another kind of tiebreaker as well, because if you were listening to all of the results, you would also have noticed that Racing dropped points. They drew 1-1 away to Colón. And Defensa y Justicia, with yet another late winner in that five-goal thriller against Banfield, got a win, which leaves them a point behind Racing. So a reminder as well that goal difference is going to separate all of the positions in the league table apart from first and second. If those two teams end up level on points after the uh, league season is completed, they will have to play a playoff match between them. And of course, as we've said several times already, the final round of fixtures has them playing one another in Racing's stadium. And something interesting to take into account as well, just kind of going from the past to the future, the near future, if you will, for one second before we review the games themselves, mm-hmm. uh, Racing and Defensive Justicia, Justicia will both play this weekend, uh, two of those teams locked in the relegation dogfight, Racing at home to Belgrano and Defensive Justicia away to Patronato. Indeed. So... so- <laughs> They're going to be two pretty, come the end pretty hard fought games, I'd say. Come the end of the weekend, at least one of the races at one end of one of the two tables might look a bit clearer. Um, or, or on the other hand, <laughs> neither of them might. And if they stay like this until the last round, they play each other. And uh, if they stay like this, uh, there won't be any 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 tiebreak or any uh, no. uh, extra match because. Of course, yeah. If, if Racing and Defensive Odyssey are only separated by one point, already separated by two points going into that final match then we won't have a tiebreaker if they're separated by three of course then we might or by none or by none yeah obviously um, so it is all still to play for where shall we begin uh, the weekend gents there was plenty to talk about really I, I'm going to apologise right now by the way to Patriot supporters uh, who didn't get an extra little 10 <laughs> or 15 minutes of me wittering on on Sunday and, and Monday night um, I was really, really exhausted, basically. On, on Sunday, Defensive Justicia still hadn't played, so I wanted to leave that again um, until Monday evening, as I did last week. Um, and by Monday evening, I had been spending about three days solid writing and then delivering a pub quiz, and I was just I was absolutely knackered. By the time my girlfriend went to bed, I didn't have any energy and was just too tired to record anything, so I apologise. Um, but if you want to become a Patreon supporter and you'll get one of those almost every other week and of course you'll get an extra episode of us talking afterwards and you can go to patreon.com slash handofpod 
Um, anyway, the results we've just gone over. As, as I said, there are, there are plenty of talking points. Let's begin, I guess, with Racing, mm-hmm. who it was very much two points dropped away to Colón, wasn't it? It wasn't, it wasn't, because Racing trailed for a great deal of that game and I think the manner of their equaliser and the last few minutes sort of made it, in the end, a, a draw with a slight taste of victory. It was a very, very good Cologne performance, to be fair. Mm. Uh, they just sacked Comisania, their previous coach, in the week after he uh, lashed out at his players, accusing them of all sorts of nefarious, lazy um, activities. And they seemed to take it to heart, even though he'd gone. Um, they were just a machine, basically, marking Racing all over the pitch. They had about four players who were apparently injured under Comisania, who made miraculous recoveries to, to be back for this game, uh, which was quite interesting and not at all suspicious, given that uh, they didn't seem to get along with um, the previous coach. I'm sure there was no... Uh, bed making there at all of course hmm. that would never happen um, yeah Racing uh, conversely looked a little bit slow a little bit insipid I guess it would be the word a lot of kind of aimless passes not really showing this kind of like, this kind of incisive play that's characterising for for most of the season I mean they've been top for pretty much the entire season um, and they fell behind to a real really kind of childish penalty from the usually very good Eugenio Mena, the Chile international left-back who was awful along with quite a few other people. Uh, that penalty was converted and from there it was an uphill struggle. Racing finally, finally broke through about seven minutes from the end, six minutes with via Dario Svitanic. scored for the second game running. Um... Uh, converting a rebound after Alejandro Donati had steered a header against the bar. And from there, Racing could have nicked it and they could have also been really badly found out in the counter-attack. Uh, so, yeah, you could say, you know, looking at the two teams, their form, it was uh, it was points dropped, but I think we all know that Cologne Stadium's never an easy place to visit. Uh, very hard to get results there. And there was actually away fans, which was... A novel twist. I think there was about five thousand away fans in in the terraces, according to some estimates. Um, and yeah, after a really, really uncomfortable ninety minutes, the feeling is it could have been worse. It, a defeat definitely would have um, been more of a blight. I think that's something that Chacha Caldet reflected on at the end of the game, hoarse because he'd clearly been screaming the entire game and he could barely string two words together. When the microphones came around. Uh, yeah, Racing's still top. Now, just three games to go. Can't t- chalking them off. Indeed, and as you said, uh, they've, they've got a relegation candidate this weekend and also another relegation candidate the weekend after. Uh, they're at home to Belgrano this coming weekend and then away to Tigre uh, before that big showdown with Defensio Tizia. Uh The second half in particular, I thought, was pretty impressive from Racing. It was, it was very impressive from Colón as well, who, who remained... Resolute for such a long time um, in in the face of a bit of an onslaught, um, but yeah, I mean certainly Racing the the point was the least they deserved, even though they were made to dig very deep for it. I think there was a stat from the first half. Uh, those of you who enjoy curious statistics, in the first half, I believe Racing enjoyed seventy two percent of possession, or perhaps even more, 
and failed to master a single shot, or at least a single shot on target. Hmm. Which is pretty, pretty decent guy. Yeah, I've got first half stats on my phone app, a 70% possession for the first half for Racing, with no shots either on or off target. There you go. Uh, And six shots, six shots in total with two of them on target for Colón. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then in the second half, 76% possession for Racing, six shots with three on target, and Colón managed two shots and one on target on the basis of 24% possession in the second half. Yeah, I think I made the point on Twitter at one point. Imagine just kind of grabbing your head and smashing it repeatedly against a brick wall for 90 minutes, and that was pretty much uh, how Racing played for the vast majority, just kind of trying to do anything to get through and, hmm. yeah, only making themselves dizzy. And, and you see there was, there was no bed there making? Well, the bed was already made. Ah, yes, of course. Uh, anyway, I think that Colón players should thank, say thank you to Comesania because after he said that players who are chickens, uh, they had no option but to, but to demonstrate that they weren't. So uh, I think that just Racing was the rival to to demonstrate that they weren't. Um, so uh, you said you said it was difficult or that stadium is always difficult and uh, so that's why they are called they call it or or we call Cementerio de los Elefantes. Right? The elephant scrap yeah. Yes. Indeed. Uh, Racing were further frustrated on Monday night by Nicolas Fernandez, who scored a hat-trick for defensor y Justicia. Um, the first with an assist from Ezequiel Unsain, who you might be aware is defensor Justicia's goalkeeper, um, and the others with uh, rather more uh, prosaic uh, moves. I'll be, I think, if I remember rightly, the third one was a pretty good one and it won it it means that Hernan Crespo is still only only won one match as a manager um, but good grief Banfield are better to watch than they were before he took charge um, it was 1-0 to defend Justicia quite early on uh, Banfield levelled that about 20 minutes in Nicolas Fernandez then got his second with 15 minutes of the first half to go Banfield equalised with 10 minutes left and it looked as if Racing's lead was going to remain at three points before Fernandez popped up in the 89th minute in Defensio Justicia's last um, however many matches it is they've played since the turn of the year I think it's seven isn't it they have won five of them in minute 80 or afterwards and only one of those has been before minute 89 this this was the 89th minute winner and they've won three others in stoppage time but the, the, uh, the finish time. the finish from Nicolas Cristiano Ronaldo Fernandez uh, was like, like if they were nil nil in the five minute, not that they were choo choo in the uh, uh, almost last, last minute. Mm. It was incredibly. He nice. was helped by another assist from a goalkeeper, though. In, in this case, Arboleda, who came charging out like a demented man. I've <laughs> yeah, no that's, idea that's, what he was that's doing. Banfield's goalkeeper, yes. if, uh, for those who are not aware. Um, but yeah, it looked like a humdinger. I have to say, I, I obviously missed the game because, as I said, I was giving a pub quiz at the time um, but I caught some of the highlights afterwards and it looked like a really good game and indeed sounded like a good game um, while it was going on so well done Defensi Uthicia we mentioned Racing's coming fixtures so we may as well mention Defensi Uthicia's as well this weekend they are away to Patronato as Dan mentioned um, and then the weekend after the, or actually it's in two weeks time isn't it I've just realised because we've got the international break coming up um, so the first weekend in April uh, or or the the final days of March I suppose mm-hmm. depending on which day the game actually gets put on um, they are at home to Union 
and then obviously they visit Racing on the last on the last weekend. Uh, this weekend did see, I think I am right in saying, the end. No, we didn't see the end of Bocca's title hopes, did it? Because Racing dropped points They're and Bocca won. Just about alive, which means really. that mathematically, if we are talking about the title race, we're also obliged to mention Bocca Juniors. They are eight points behind Racing with nine points to play for. So I think if, they uh, if you read the Finca Codicia or Racing, get, or if both of them get a point this weekend, I believe it's over, right? Yeah. Uh, let's see. If Racing get a point, then they'll go to 53. If Boca were to then win, then Boca would go to 47. That would be a gap of six points with six games to play for. So if, if either of them win, then they're yeah. fine. If uh, if Racing draw and Defensa Odisia don't win, then Boca could still stay in the title race. Mm. But of course, it isn't actually going to happen. No. Um, Bocca's the main talking point there was uh, Julio Buffarini being a bit <laughs> of a dick wasn't it um, Bocca won 3-0 at a canter because they were playing San Lorenzo who are crap um, and there was a passage of play I think it was already 3-0 by this point wasn't it yes um, towards the end there was a passage of play towards the end of the game where Bocca had the ball for something like 67 straight passes and the fans were olaying every touch and Julio Buffarini who of course used to play for San Lorenzo um, decided to Chuck a Rabona in there from the right wing. It went straight to a San Lorenzo player. He ended up looking a bit silly. And um, more to the point, San Lorenzo's players immediately all started hounding him and trying to take his head off, even though the ball was actually still in play. Um, because people care too much? I don't know. I think it's just stupid to win this. Like... He, he said after the game, oh, I realized, as soon as I did it, I realised that I'd done something wrong. And you're like, really, Julio? What tipped you off to that fact? He didn't do anything wrong. Everybody was tremendously pissed off with you. I don't agree that he did anything wrong, to be fair. Um, There are certain things a player can do to disrespect a club. You know, like if you're winning 5-0 and basically just sit on the ball in the middle of the pitch or, I don't know, not make the same player four times in a row going backwards or something, that could be. But Ramon is a legitimate um, tool in a player's bag to cross when he's not on his uh, strong foot, right? If we think about it, just I mean, prosaic, in this case, it wasn't really at all necessary. He, he yeah, well, deliberately checked evidence? himself yeah. into a position where it wasn't, and he made a complete hash of the But then, uh, if he did it badly, he did it badly. But then he repeated it against... He did it again, yeah. Against Tolima. On Tuesday. Say, yeah, so that they don't think yeah. that it was not... Uh, it was again, at 3-0 up in the last minutes. Hmm. Funny it was pretty good, it? yeah. Um, nah, storm in a teacup. I think it just deflects attention from the fact that San Lorenzo are heroically crap. Yes, they really, really are not very good. Um, yes, Boca on... It was Tuesday night, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. Got a Libertadores win, their first of the group stage, because, of course, they drew last week. Um, they were at home to... Oh, God, I forgot. Deportes Tolima. Thank you, to Tolima. Um, and it turned out to be rather more comfortable than the two teams' performances in the first week of action had led us to think it might be because Tolima got a 1-0 win over the other team in the group who are Brazilian Atletico Paranaense thank you I knew it was one of the Brazilians um, and we, I, I was thinking oh they, they, they might be able to provide some um, resistance and they didn't really and yeah. interestingly San Lorenzo also somehow got a Libertadores win that was on Wednesday evening mm-hmm. uh, it was at the end of another appalling match it was 1-0. It was at home to a team... Again, I've forgotten. Teo Gutierrez Les Junior. Junior de Barranquilla. Yeah, I think was, there's a, an Atletico in there. 
Ja. Alla finns en Atletico ändå. Så det är ett junior de Barranquilla. Ja, okej. Jag tror, jag tror. I should look it up. But anyway, it was it was not a particularly good game. It was Yeah, there you go. Atletico Junior. Yeah. Yeah. Junior FC, Atletico Junior, Junior de Barranquilla. Club Deportivo Popular, Junior FC. How many names do they have? Uh, here we go. Commonly known as Junior de Barranquilla. Yeah. Or by its old name, Atletico Junior. Or uh, simply as Junior. So there you go. I didn't realise the they were no longer called yeah. that. So I shall have to update my mental bank, bank of team names. Sorry, I just dropped my phone on the table. <laughs> anyway. Um, San Lorenzo are awful, but it does mean that Almiron has finally won a game in charge after, yes. I think, 17 attempts was the number I saw on the television after that game? I think it was 15 and 12 that since he's in charge. Aha, right. Yeah. Oh, right, so San Lorenzo hadn't won since... San in, Lorenzo in total yeah. hadn't won since the 20-something of October in all competitions. Mm-hmm. So, just under five months. Yeah. Blind. Which, considering they didn't really have a winter break, is not good at all. Summer break. Summer break, yes. Remember which hemisphere we're in, Daniel. It's been a pretty crap summer. I don't know. It, it, yeah, uh, it took a while in coming. Anyway, um, so Boca San Lorenzo, there's not an awful lot else to talk about, really. It was quite one-sided. Atletico Tucumán versus River, however, was there was a bit more intrigue in there because this kicked off as fourth versus fifth, with fourth place, of course, being the bottom of the Libertadores qualification spots. And at the full-time whistle, it was fifth versus fourth. River got a very hard-fought 1-0 win, which means that they leapfrog Atletico on goal difference um, ahead of them. The goal came from River's only shot of the game, and it was scored by Cristian Ferreira, who was the, also the scorer um, of River's very, very late equaliser last week in the Libertadores away to Alianza Lima. The only player to score for River in the last three games. Yes, he is, because they got a nil-nil draw yes- yesterday, Wednesday evening, um, at home. Oh, God, I'm forgetting team names all over. Sky. I just can't remember who Palestino. has been playing. Thank you. At home to Palestino, um, which means that they've started the Libertadores campaign slowly. They've, they've dropped um, dropped four points in the first two matches. Um, but in the campaign to qualify for next year's Libertadores, it's quite a shot in the arm for them. Uh, it was a good win against an Atletico side who were typically well-organised and who could have had an equaliser. Yes, um, the first half was, I think it was... Uh, you, you, we could say that it was a, a half for each mm. team. First half, where River was perhaps with more, uh, were fresher in, in and, and were faster and could uh, do some, uh, take some danger there to the uh, goal defended by Christian Lucchetti. Then in the second half, they were tired, exhausted, and that's where Atletico, and of course, they needed the draw and uh, why not the win. Uh, pushed hard but they couldn't uh, finally get the equalizer uh, and River with this uh, amount of matches that they are playing are, are, are uh, starting to feel that uh, that uh, well of course uh, they are they it's like the lack of of, of uh, strength in the last minutes or in the <laughs> second halves and, and it's notorious it's remarkable um, even when River at this point have perhaps a more a larger squad than they used to have. Mm. Uh, they have some alternatives there, in, especially in attack. Uh, even when, for example, Carascal hasn't still made it his debut for the first team. No, the Colombian Neymar. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. I, I he's not going to play until Neymar gets back. Well, exactly, yeah. Neymar also hasn't played since uh, Carascal. So yeah. Maybe it's literal. Yeah. Um, 
River's next matches are at home to Independiente this weekend and then away to Tacheres. Um, and then they finish the Superliga at home to Tigre. But um, in between that, they've got a trip to Porto Alegre to take on Internacional uh, in what is looking in their Libertadores campaign like a match that they really need to get something from it. They can't lose it because Inter have won both of their first two matches. Um, so they're top of that group at the moment in the Libertadores. Um, back to the Superliga, though. And I'm not really sure what else to say. Tigre probably deserve a pat on the back, coming back from 2-0 down. Yeah, although it doesn't do them much good a point over... And they need to win. No, as I say, it leaves them three points behind. Yeah. It, it was a fantastic equaliser for Carlos Luna uh, with three minutes to go. Um, and a very, very well-deserved point overall. Um, but, as you say, Dan, it's not one that does Tigre... Obviously, it's better than a defeat for them, but, but it doesn't do them an awful lot of good because yeah. their next, their coming match is now... They are... Oh, we've discussed this a million yes. times, haven't we? So they're, they're away to Tacheres this coming week, and then the last two are at home to Racing and away to <laughs> River. Um, so realistically, what they have to do is beat Tacheres and then just hope that, that the three teams above them lose all three of their remaining games. But I think that <laughs> the worst... a chance of maybe turning it into a four-team playoff, right? I think that the worst schedule or, or fixture uh, belongs to San Martín to come on as they play Boca... Uh, and I, well, think I mean, if they lose, yeah, but also they're down anyway. Yes, if they lose, they unless down. they win all three games, and then they're up. <laughs> and um, with Caruso in charge, anything is possible, as yeah. we well know. San Martín de Tucumán are at home to Boca, away to Estudiantes, which certainly isn't unwinnable, uh, and then at home to San Lorenzo. So yeah, facts, could if they a... could pull off a shock against Boca, then who knows? Uh, yeah. But in um, in terms of um, how probable things actually are. I don't think we really need to worry about San Martín de Tucumán's remaining fixtures. Although, thank you for bringing them up, Andres, and, and you know, we'll, uh, we should mention them, you're quite right, and, and pretend to give them some dignity, at least. In this yeah, especially when, when we have here English Dan, who uh, has family there. In of course. Mm. Yes. Indeed. Die hard San Martín. Atletico fans or San Martín? No, San Martín. Oh, okay, fan. right. Well, in that case, we'll, we will have to cover them a bit more often. Yes. Um, yeah, other than that, Anything else to mention? To Talking what? points from the weekend? I think it was so well, long ago. scored again six Great. days ago, way back on Friday evening in the 93rd minute at the age of whatever age he is now. 700. Yeah. Um, so well done him. Stoppage time equaliser against San Martín de San Juan, which of course has got us into this position of having a three-way tie at the moment. Mm-hmm. Now that he's scoring so often, we could uh, suggest him to, to uh, uh, make a different celebration of the goals because he's doing the same any goal every goal he scores is waves his, his arms like this and, and showing his teeth and mm-hmm. and that's all all of his celebration scoring how many goals has he scored since his uh, since his, he came back to the news I don't know many or seven many goals ago, I yeah. many is the answer I think almost every match uh, that the news won of course they scored that they scored goals um, some scored there so I think six or seven goals or five. Let me see. Since he returned to Danus, uh, he has scored, according to his Wikipedia page, uh, ha, right, they haven't updated this. They, they've got him having scored 
two goals in three matches for Lanús in 2019. He's got three or four so far, I think, this interview. I'm sure he's played more than yeah. three as well, so I think yes. it hasn't been updated for a couple of weeks. Um, he probably has three or four. But yeah, I mean, he's an old dog. He's not about to learn new tricks. His actual age, by the way, is 38. Turns 39 in July. Mm-hmm. Um, the standings then are Racing Which top... say something about Estudiantes Gimnasia, right? Derby. It was inconsequential, on, but the main thing that stood out was a terrible, terrible, terrible uh, refereeing performance. Yeah. Uh, yes. I think it was Laverni who just lost. Or Laverni or Delfino? No, Delfino. Delfino, he has he had been, been banned from in the, the, follow, the previous round yeah. and now he Delfino. will be stopped again. Delfino. He will be banned again. I was associated associate uh, Laverni from that famous commentary from the Gimnasia uh, radio commentator who just started screaming that Laverni was a thief after well during one of the, yes. the La Plata yeah, derbies yeah. it's something that's it's a recurring theme for Gimnasia I think they're usually pretty well outmatched by the Estudiantes but they definitely don't get I mean, many favours from, from I, the officials I don't like uh, the, um, coaches complaining all the time about the referees but in this time, I think Ortiz, the coach of Gimnasia, had some, some point there which was right because... Yeah, Lorenzo Farabelli got sent off about half an hour in. For really not much at all. it was a bit difficult to see why it was a red card, or indeed any card. I found that Gata Fernandez did about 10 minutes later and he only got a booking. Yeah. Um, and Ortiz said I mean, that, um, that Delfino ha, ha, has, uh, had already been stopped or well, banned from... Uh, Playing the the previous round, and now when he was back, he was desi- uh, m- uh, mentioned, desi- uh, sorry, uh, called to to play against uh, Gimnasia, which is of course a, a hot match or a difficult match, and now he will be banned again. Uh, yeah, because of course he was not very good. Indeed, I mean, it's I, I heard this because he's got like holidays left over or something. <laughs> I mentioned earlier that, that both teams had a man sent off, and so some listeners might well be thinking, well, but hang on, they evened it up later, right? But Mateo Retegui got sent off in the 89th minute for Estudiantes. Nathan Messi's um, goalkeeper got sent off, right? That was yes. after the full-time yes. whistle, in fact. <laughs> uh, it was so far in. Um, the son of yeah, the... Retegui got sent off for... It was definitely a red card. Um, but it was so late on that it wasn't actually going to make a difference by that point. And then Martin Arias, it says here violent conduct, but I think he got sent off for just yelling at the ref after the whistle. Yeah, um, handbags. It was definitely after the full-time whistle anyway. Um, beyond that... Argentinos' new tunnel, I think is worth at least a passing mention. We do have a question about inflatable tunnels. Ah, we'll save So I was yeah. saving that for later, don't worry, I haven't Excellent. forgotten. Uh, which means that the standings, with 22 matches played and three games to go because we've got a ridiculous championship in which they only have to play 25 times, are Racing with 52 points, Defensa y Justicia with 51. Goal difference doesn't matter, of course, um, as we've explained already. Boca with 44. That ends the title hopefuls. <laughs> um, River Plate are fourth with 39 points and a goal difference of plus 17. Atletico Tucumán are fifth and the top of the Copa Sudamericana qualifying sides as it currently stands with 39 points and a goal difference of plus 10. Beles are 6th with 34 points. Tachera 7th with 33. It starts to get very tight from here on down, so I'm going to go down a little way now. Uh, Tachera is 7th with 33. Independiente are 8th with 32 points and plus 8 goal difference. Huracan are 9th with 32 points. In the Copa Sudamericana spots, they have a goal difference of plus 1. There we go. 
Union are 10th with 31 points. Nogal difference a plus two, so a point behind Huracan, but better off if they can get a draw um, and get level on points with them. Lanús have a goal difference of 31 game, uh, 31. Sorry, no, they don't. They don't have a goal difference of 31. They have 31 points and a goal difference of zero in 11th, only a point behind Huracan in the Sudamericana spot. Aldo Civi have 29 points and a goal difference of minus five. Tigre, who remember are battling relegation, have a goal difference of 29 points. They're only three points off the Sudamericana, albeit with a goal difference of minus six. Um, and then beyond that, we're, we're more than a game away, as uh, NBA um, standings people would put it, uh, from that. God, I cruised everybody down and more than three points behind on can, so I'm not going to bother reading those out. Uh, the relegation table we've already gone over, but just uh, once again to refresh your memory, Samadine Tucumán at bottom with less than a point a game. Tigre have 84 points from 79 games. Samadine, San, San Juan, Patronato, and Belgrano all have 87 points from 79 games, and as it currently stands, would have to play off in a round robin between each other to decide which two go down and which one stays up. And Gimnasia are not quite out of the woods yet. They've got 92 points from 79 games, so they are five points clear. They're, they're probably going to be safe, um, but they're not completely safe just yet. I think that from all of the teams that are are fighting, of course, to not to, to be relegated, uh, Tigris has the best team, I think. Or at least they, I, is, they are the team that are playing the best of, for you know, all of all Yeah, of they, they have the disadvantage of... Um, of being three points behind the others, but of course, a few weeks ago they were like eight or nine points behind them. Um, so you wouldn't entirely bet against it. There is history recently of teams escaping the drop in improbable circumstances, um, but I think to be honest, I would bet against it if you actually forced me to bet at this stage. Um, before we take a half time break, I would also just like to mention um, briefly moving away from the Superliga and onto the Primera um, Femenina which is the Women's Championship, that we have a couple of bits of history to report. Because ahead of Boca Juniors versus San Lorenzo on Saturday afternoon, or evening, um, Boca's women played Lanús women in a 5-0 win for Boca. um, And it was held in the Bombonera. Mm -hmm. It's the first time, certainly for Boca, and I think for any of the grandes, the big five, um, that the women's team have been allowed to play in the main stadium. Uh, and that came after quite a bit of, of campaigning from Boca's women's team, stretching back about six or seven months at least that I'm aware of, um, for the, to, to get the club to allow them to play in the Bombonera. Um, obviously, it being ahead of a men's game meant that by the end of the match they had a fairly decent crowd in um, to see them. So, congratulations uh, to them. And the ongoing argument, which has been going on for a lot longer than we've been talking about it, actually, the um, campaign on the part of Argentina's women to get a professional football league has come to fruition. Uh, Partial fruition, yeah. Partial fruition. Claudio Tapia, uh, the president of the AFA, when he first came in actually said, I want to be the president of equality. I think he realised, you know, he's quite a savvy political operator regardless of what else we might have said about him and his abilities to administer football. Um, that one of his best ways of, of you know, getting a place in Argentine football history, and one of the easiest ways, was going to be to do something for the girls, um, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> for the ladies. Um, but whether the motivations behind what he's doing are as um, 
self-serving and, and uh, nefarious as I have just made out. I have to say, I've been listening to a lot of the History of Rome podcast recently, so that it might just be that all of the politicking in that is, is affecting my thinking as well. Um, whether that is, is indeed his um, intention, the outcome is, is good. The AFA have... It's a bit of a weird one, because the AFA have, have informed everybody that they're going to make an announcement on Saturday, and they've told us all what the announcement is. But that doesn't count as having made the announcement yet. It's all very confusing. Um, but anyway, on Saturday, this coming Saturday, the AFA are going to announce um, that within 90 days, uh, the 16 teams who make up the top flight of Argentine women's football are going to be expected to partially professionalise their squads. They will be told to hand out a minimum of eight contracts and a maximum of 11 per club. Um, the AFA themselves are going to be putting, I think the figure was 24 million 24 pesos, million. wasn't it? Correct. So 2 million pesos a month um, towards these contracts, which I'm feeling quite smug about because I just suggested a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. central contrast, didn't I? Which isn't that far off what's actually going to be happening. And the, the players will be held to the minimum pay scale currently active in the Primera C, uh, yeah. the fourth tier, which is 13 to 15,000 pesos a month, just and under 400 dollars a month and I think that's the same basis on which um, the number of professionals is, has been decided as well because apparently the Primera De mm-hmm. has a maximum or a minimum or an average or something of 8 professionals in each squad and the Se has an uh, an average of 11 I think it is and a maximum of 15 sounds like plausible to me um, because obviously at that uh, point of the men's game obviously um, mm-hmm. uh, that far down the, the pyramid it's a bit difficult with the number of clubs there are in Argentina to keep them all professional um, regarding, so that's good news. regarding money, I think that uh, uh, as far as I, I heard, uh, AFA is going through a great moment because they have, uh, well, even when banks perhaps are not reliable here in Argentina, they have um, a lot of money in banks abroad. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it's true. Yeah, I'm going to call a lawyer now. Believe it or not, but it's <laughs> just prepping. Apparently, that's true, and, and, and they have uh, released some special material for Chinese uh, people, I think, some time ago. And that, of course, will... Special material? <laughs> How do you mean? No, no, I mean... Right. <laughs> I, I mean the, the social media pieces and that stuff okay. for, for Chinese people. And that apparently will be good for them in terms of, of, the, right. of the money that they will receive. Wonderful. Yes. That, confusing, Sorry. but wonderful. Yes. Um, if you are the Hand of Pod lawyer, you have an idea who you are. I've referred to you as such on social media a few times in our past... Uh, and you think that I should edit out any of what we've just said, please get in touch as soon as possible and I'll go back and delete the episode from SoundCloud and re-upload it. Uh, Possibly, if I can be bothered. Um, Anyway, on that note, we're going to take a half-time break now. When we come back, we're going to talk... Oh, I've just remembered about the thing, that was it. We're going to talk about some other stuff, we're going to answer some listeners' questions and we're going to discuss the 2020 Copa America. Yes, Mm. yes, you heard that right, the 2020 Copa America. Don't go away. second half of the podcast. We're going to begin by telling you about a wonderful tournament that's going to be taking place here in South America. 
in what are we in March? So in yes. about fifteen months' time, um, you will probably be aware that the Copa America is being played in Brazil in three months' time. Almost exactly, right? Mm-hmm. It kicks off on the is it the seventeenth or something like that? Something like that, yeah. Um, after this year, Commonwealth have decided that they want to move the Copa America to even-numbered years and still have it every four years, as it has been for, what, since 2005, I think, wasn't it? 2005, 2009? No, there was one in 2011. That was one 20 from 2007 to 2011. That's right, yeah. So 2003, format, 2005, yeah, when, and then 2007, and then Or 2003 11, to 2007. 15. Uh, minus, of course, the, the Copa Centenario, which was a, uh, sort of chronologically speaking a one-off. Um, so 15 to 19 and then you would think 2023 but no the next no. one's going to be in 2020 because they want to move it to even numbered years so it fall, it's going to fall in the same uh, same middle of the year I almost said the same summer but if it's down here it's not the summer is it um, as the European Championships um, which I guess helps FIFA with the calendar or something anyway whatever the reasons are uh, the winter and summer confusion is very much going to be in place for the first even-numbered Copa America of the four-yearly cycle um, because they have Commonwealth have taken the interesting decision to award the hosting rights to Argentina. Yay! That's us. Yay. We'll be able to go to games. And Colombia. Yeah. Uh, two countries which are not quite next door to each other. and It's an interesting joint hosting <laughs> agreement. Um, the format... If I'm remembering correctly, it's going to be two teams of six. Two teams of six groups. Two, no, teams, two groups six. of six teams. Two groups. Um, with the is it the top four at each one going into the quarterfinals? No, top two going to the semis. Okay, top two of each group going to the semis. One semi-final held in Colombia. One group held in Colombia. One group held in Argentina. Then one semi-final held in Colombia and one semi-final held in Argentina. And then the final is going to be held in Argentina. Um, I'm going to let you two talk for a bit. I think the first thing to take into account is that this could have been worse. Um, <laughs> well, considering the identity of the other two places that were bidding to be hosts, there were a couple. Yeah, there were a few options. Um, there I don't were, know there if were we, two other options that Commonwealth yeah. actually mentioned in this statement. Yes, um, and one which was kind of implicitly mentioned. The offer Commonwealth have received was to buy from US, US Soccer. Mm-hmm was to hold a new tournament in 2020 uh, that wouldn't be a Copa America and would be, a, I believe, a 16-team uh, com- split Commonwealth CONCACAF tournament so held in the United on, States. Like the Copa America centenario. Yes, was the, but not right. a Copa America with a so. brand new name, everything. And they uh-huh. said no, because they wanted to uh, retain the Copa America, mm-hmm. obviously enough, because it's a competition with more than 100 years of history. Uh the other option they were juggling was also they invited six CONCACAF teams to take part again in 2020 and CONCACAF said no uh, for reasons I'm guessing so that, sorry they themselves. invited six teams to take part in the Copa America not this new tournament yes and to have it in South America exactly yeah. okay. and they and got CONCACAF said no so basically relations between Comunibol and CONCACAF and US Soccer are Broken, completely fucked at the moment. What a shame. Yes, and because apparently one of the things that's been said off the record is that 
there are still certain financial issues hanging over from 2016. Uh-huh. Apparently, Commonwealth haven't received all the money they should have from that tournament still. Mm. The other options on the table were a bid from Australia to host Copa America because yes. why not? And then also a different uh, business group, I can't remember the name right now, who wanted to take it to Asia. Um, Is it Doyen Sport or something like that? Something, no, that's something uh, else, aren't they? Doyen were the ones implicated in FIFA Gate, I believe. Ah, right, it wasn't them then. No. Can't make that clear enough for the lawyers. Yes. Sorry. Just... It was another one. Um, IMG were there as well. Mm. That's one that's a little more well-known. So, yeah, basically, Commonwealth put their foot down and said, no, we're keeping it in South America. All well and good. But then, of course, because we can never have wholly good news, they decided to do this strange shared hosting which on the face of it is if you decide to do a shared hosting hosted tournament it was pretty much the only alternative because I, I, I can see how asking given current economic circumstances in the world and in, you know by extension in South America I can see how asking one country to host a whole tournament mm-hmm. at 15 months notice was a bit much possibly but yeah couldn't they have found two that were next to each other <laughs> It's funny you say, because uh, if you look across the possible candidates, Brazil and Chile have obviously just had um, Copa America. It wouldn't be fair for them to have another, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. Uruguay, uh, their FA is completely screwed. And they've got one stadium that's big enough to host it. Mm, Maybe maybe two or three. Possibly Peñarols and Nacionales. So three stadiums within about 300 metres of each other. But their FA is completely uh, basket case. It makes... The AFA look well run and organised. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paraguay has one stadium. Uh, Bolivia possibly has one stadium, which is also at 4,000 metres altitude, so that's not really um, a very enticing prospect. Peru has essentially the same problem. And Venezuela, well, the less said the better, really, I think, at the moment. Their teams can't even travel to... Copa Libertadores or host a Liga uh, we should mention that over the weekend the league was suspended because of this uh, ongoing blackout which yeah, has affected and, and Cruzeiro versus Lara in the yes, uh, Libertadores has, has been suspended today yeah. as well because Lara couldn't travel yes and that essentially leaves Ecuador which I is you've got the worse ch- than Colombia yeah you've got the Capwell and Liga de Quito's ground haven't you That's the Capwell being MLX stadium yes um, Chile or Uruguay perhaps will be but no, we just said Chile have just hosted it and Uruguay are completely yes, but, uh, in a complete state. Uh, yeah, so there yes. wasn't really much option, I, I think. Mm. It's yeah. really it's, it's going to be interesting. It's funny. The one the issue I had with this is right. They said it's going to be twelve teams, uh, two groups of six. Okay, makes sense. But why bother with the guest teams? I think I said this to you on right. Yeah, why not, on just, Twitter. Why not just do five. two groups of five and yeah. be done with it? Why even invite? Asian teams or CONCACAF teams it's a South American tournament hmm. which is funny apart from that I think that the, what uh, at first makes me like say what it's that March it, and you're organizing in June this, this the Copa America that this year it's nine months difference uh, it's really really uh, uh, too close one competition to the other one and if they wanted to do it uh, 2016 2020 2024 uh, on those years, so this Copa America should be not being taking place. Of course, it's already organized and and it's all. all oh yeah, you're saying they could have just had a yes. five-year, well, 
Actually, no, it would still be a four-year gap. Yeah. Yes, the, the, the centenario and then 2020 20 and... Yeah, um, I think Brazil would have been very happy about that. Mm. Yeah, there's, there wasn't much much room uh, to manoeuvre, I don't think, yes. on Commonwealth's part. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. And the, the, the competition has a name. Uh, they are already... They, it's something really that they are attracting the, 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 the sponsors or something like that. It's a lot of money that they are... Uh, of course, incoming with that or not? I have a clue. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, sorry. Um, we shall move on to listeners' questions because I still can't remember if there was something else that I wanted to discuss. <laughs> I don't think there was. I, th- I think that was it. I think the thing that I was struggling to remember at the beginning was the Copa America, which we've just talked about. Um, we're going to say a couple of words oh, about, the, words about the actual um, squad list, weren't we, that, that Scaloni yes. put out. Um, which was, obviously we talked about it on last week's episode, but then it got put out the following day. And I'm trying to remember, was there anybody in there who we weren't expecting to see? Um, Matias Suarez. Oh, yes. <laughs> was quite, uh, quite a surprise. Domingo and Blanco and Lisandro Martinez also. The Defensa Justicia player. Yes. Uh, there were, yeah, as you say, two Defensa Justicia players, um, both of whom... Deserve the call-up, I would say, on current form. It's going to be a nice experience for them. Hopefully, they'll they'll come back injured for the last couple of games of the season, which will be useful. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to... I've just gone to my blog. I'm trying to find the full squad list. Here it is. Uh, so, and no Romero. That no, that, that was the other interesting thing. There were four goalkeepers named, none of whom are called Sergio Romero. Mm-hmm. Um, they are Agustin Marquesin, Juan Musso, as we hinted, I think, last week. We, we were expecting him to get called up. Uh, Esteban Andrada and Franco Armani of Boca and Riber. Um, I d- still don't know why you wouldn't call up Sergio Romero. Yeah. I think Given his record for Argentina. Yeah, I'm guessing Scaloni knows what he can do and doesn't know as much about the other guys. So mm. it's, it's str- strange because it appears like uh, uh, he's trying to to uh, build the team to the Com- for the Copa America, but at the same time he's thinking on the Qatar 2022 World Cup, and in, and in that case, Romero wouldn't be uh, uh, called up because he will be have 35 years, I think. Yeah, but that's uh, not that old for a goalkeeper. No, but that's that's I think what I think he believes, or or that's why yeah. he isn't calling uh, Romero up and. Um, of course, Romero said, and, and I think he talked with, to a radio say, saying that he will resist. Like he he knows that he is not has not the same space or the mm. same consideration that the coach has in him, uh, and that he will try to fight not to be uh, uh, taken apart. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, one thing he could do was would be to go to a club where he actually plays, right? I mean, we said it for the last ten years, but it would be helpful. Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, I, again, it depends on what the, the national team manager says. Uh, but it can't hurt his chances, or maybe it would hurt his chances if he played regularly. <laughs> uh, the rest of the squad, though, is sort of notably fresh-faced, with a couple of very notable exceptions. The defenders, Germán Petzela of Fiorentina, Gabriel Mercado of Sevilla, uh, Juan Foyt of Tottenham Hotspur, Nicolas Otamendi, okay, he's one of the exceptions, actually, there are more than a couple of exceptions, of Manchester City, Walter Kahneman of Gremio, Nicolas Tagliafico of Ajax, Marcos Acuna of Sporting Club di Portugal, Gonzalo Montiel of River, Renzo Sarabia of Racing, and Lisandro Martinez of Defensa Justicia, the midfielders, Leandro Paredes, 
Guido Rodriguez of uh, Club América de México, uh, who is one of the more surprising names that we weren't expecting to see in there. Former uh, River and was it Tigre Tijuana. or something? Tijuana. No, Tijuana of Mexico. Before he then... left Argentina, though, he, he, he went from River somewhere on loan, I think, and then moved to Mexico, be, yes. if I remember rightly. Um, anyway, I think this is his first call-up for Argentina. No, uh, second Is it? He's yes. been called up before? Yes. Oh. Giovanni Lo Celso, uh, Manuel Lanzini, Roberto Pereira, who might have been called up in the last call-up, actually. Now, he's I'm, been I was in about a few, to say, yeah. I think yeah, it's the first one, and then I thought, no, no, he's, he's definitely played for he's, Argentina. He scored a goal as well in um, one of their friendlies. But I was trying to remember whether he'd been called up since joining Watford, uh, and I think he has. Yes. yes. Angel Di Maria, Matias Saracho, also of Racing. Uh, Ivan Marcone of Boca, Domingo Blanco of Defensa Justicia, and Rodrigo de Paul of Udinese. So, two Udinese players, Juan Musso and Rodrigo de Paul. That's mm-hmm. both former racing players. Both former racing players as well, yeah. Um, so, Scaloni's been watching a lot of Udinese, presumably. And yeah, Barcelona. de Paul's played a few times for Scaloni as well, and mm. he's given a fairly good account of himself. He so. used to play in the youth teams under Scaloni as well, right? <sighs> Or would he have been before Scott? No, he's too old no, for that. Yeah, yeah. Too old, wouldn't he? And the strikers, uh, Lionel Messi, who I think we can probably agree deserves his call-up. Yeah. Gonzalo Martinez, who, as we said last week, if I remember rightly, uh, becomes the first, certainly the first MLS, and I think the first United States-based player, full stop, to get the call-up to the Argentine national team. Paolo Dybala, uh, Angel Correa, Lautaro Martinez... Dario Benedetto and Matias Suarez who as we said is a bit of a surprising call up and perhaps gives the lie to the idea that Scaloni is actually looking to build for the future given that he's 31 yeah um, was and he's getting his first call up now seems a bit of a yes. whistle and he he said that it wasn't because he plays for River that he thought already thought to uh, uh, to call him up when he was at Belgrano and of course he did I don't know why he didn't do it but yeah we all believe that uh, anyway, moving on to listeners' questions, um, oh, which I've actually I've just realised I've scrolled down a bit too far on our mentions uh, page, so give me a second. Uh, Darren Paul asks whether we would, uh, Andres and I would like to Skype into a recording of the Racing Club UK podcast, and uh, we, I think we've both said yes, I have anyway. Um, Huggy says, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, says, in one word, describe the bore fest that was San Lorenzo versus Junior. I should clarify that Huggy actually sent this tweet before San Lorenzo versus Junior kicked off. Uh, he, he's a prescient person, um, yeah. and it, it was quite dull. Uh, yeah, it was a, f- a fairly frantic finish, I think, at the end. But overall, another piss poor San Lorenzo performance against ten men. To boot. They but they got the win. Maybe this is going to be the launching pad for great things to come. Indeed, I wouldn't hold your breath. Nico Balenzuela says, how good has Alfaro been for Boca? And I think it would be fair to say, so far, better than a lot of people expected. He's finding his feet. He had a fairly underwhelming start to, um, to his Boca tenure. Um, kind of ground out a couple of results, uh, a few draws as well, and on the way that weren't particularly impressive. Uh, could you say the turning point was beating Defensa Justicia, which was, again, not a particularly brilliant performance, but a big result nonetheless? I don't think that would be unfair. Um, yeah, we, the very first episode of the year, of course, Mariano in particular, was, uh, as, a former, you know, as a San Lorenzo fan, was quite dismissive of his chances. But actually, um, he's, 
he's, they've come into it a bit. They've not you know, won every match. They, they had that draw away to Jorge Winston run in their first Libertadores game of the year. Um, but apart from that, they've looked by and large... Lost only one fairly, against the Tucumán. Yeah, they, they lost to Atletico Tucumán, and that was it. That's it this year. Um, wins over teams they should be beating. couple of draws, but apart from that, they're, they're looking a little bit more solid and they're looking a bit more together. And he's got, I hate to say this, or, or I don't hate to say it, but I hesitate <laughs> to say it, Carlos Tevez isn't playing like somebody who's never seen a football before anymore. No. He's, he's not playing brilliantly, but he's... He seems to have had a bit of an uptick in form, in my opinion. I thought at least has cotton on to the fact that Marazarete is Boca's probably yeah. best attacker and should be playing. Hmm. That could be with Tevez or without him, but uh, like Barros Quilote, he realises that Zaratis is too good to leave on the bench, which shouldn't really come as much of a revelation, but apparently it does. But they played together sometime. Uh, I don't remember whether against Tolima or against San Lorenzo, but uh, they had sometime. Yeah. Against Salima they played together, yes. yeah. Because uh, you you may think that they can play one or the other, and, and as they play in this in similar, quite similar positions, not the same. As Carlos as Tevez uh, used to play more as a second striker, no, not second striker, as a master, an enganche, not real enganche, but similar. And Mauro Sarte more as a wing or something like that. Um, but so far they haven't played more one or the other one. Yeah, uh, they they played. It looks I've just gone back through the last few lineups. It looks like the game against Tolima yesterday was the first time that they both started together. Um, otherwise, it's by and large been one starting and, and the other one replacing him. Um, but yeah, they've. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see whether he carries on with this idea of the sort of four-two-three-one with one of them wide on the right and the other one in the middle. To be fair, against. San Lorenzo, it was, everyone will predict a, a victory there. And against Tolima, of course, the first half was a bit uh, unexpectedly, uh, perhaps, good team for Tolima. I, I admit that I haven't watched Tolima because I, I can't watch Colombian uh, tournament. But uh, the first half was really, really good for them. Yeah. But the second half was Boca, three, three plays and three goals. Uh, it was like that. So it was perhaps something you could predict. Then in the tournament they have, in the Superliga, they had other other matches that were harder, like Defensa Justicia, that they could win because they, there was a, a mistake from the goalkeeper. And yeah, but they, he's, he's starting to apparently find a way and, and, and the team is, of course, responding. Yeah. Uh, Darren Paul says, how is Washington Camacho getting on? Ugh. Not very good. Uh, he's at Central still, right? Yes. He is. Well, Central are doing awful, so he's yes. doing awful like the rest of Central. And Camacho has yes. not been as key for them as in previous seasons, I think it would be fair to say. Um, so, yeah, not brilliantly. No. Um, Nick says, I think Nick is a first time question asker. Uh, Hello, Nick. Nick says, in recent months, Tim Vickery has described how in recent years Brazilian football has steadily declined and the style of football on offer has been reduced to a turgid defensive game because managers are aware that their jobs are very precarious. How has Argentine football changed in the time that Sam and Dan have been living in Argentina and has it been for the better or the worse? Well, I think I don't think this is too uh, controversial to say both you and me arrived at the nadir of 
Argentine football, right? 2009-2010, where it was terrible. I mean, yeah. If there, you there, take, there, was a, yeah. there was a gap between the sort of early to mid... 2000s yeah. when you had some really well you know some players who went on to become some of the best attackers in particular in the world and, and some very strong defenders as mm-hmm. well uh, and some old greats from the 90s coming back mm-hmm. and that lot either left or retired um, and then yeah I, th- I think you're probably right around the time that Hander Pond was born in 2010 it was an age where Banfield won the title where Arsenalis R&D won the title and I'm all for that kind Argentina of thing Juniors. Yeah, it's great to have that variety, but it was a reflection of how bad the general standard or the big clubs were rather than any super special... As also uh, was was the fact that it it wasn't a particularly strong era for uh, Argentine clubs in the Libertadores. No. Uh, I think they did a little bit better in the Sudamericana, if I remember right. Was it from Estudiantes in 2009 to San Lorenzo 2004? 14? Something like that, yeah. Not a single team won it, which yeah. is a long time for uh, an Argentine, Argentine club's five so years. It has improved. The other thing I, I think is that little by little, some clubs and some of the most visible clubs um, in Argentina, for whatever reason, have started to take a slightly less short term view than the stereotypical South mm-hmm. American. It's certainly what uh, Tim frequently talks about being the case in Brazil. Um, and so you have, for example, this is obviously a bit of an exception, but River giving and managing to keep hold of, in fact, Marcelo Gachardo. Mm-hmm. Um, not that that necessarily is a great show of faith on River's part. As I say, they've got to scramble to keep hold of him every six months mm-hmm. and give him a new contract. But they have kept hold of him. Racing installing Diego Melito as the director of football and, and having some continuity even when they do change the manager. And actually, you haven't changed the manager now for when did Carlo come in? 20. 16, 17? Uh, nah, start of 2018. Oh, okay. Well, a bit more recent than I thought, but still, th- there is continuity there. Yeah. There's a continuity of style from the previous boss and all the rest of it. Um, and I think that all of that plays into it. Yeah, definitely. And financially as well, there's no doubt that the biggest clubs, at least in Argentina, are much better off than they were when we arrived. I remember seeing so many uh, newspaper headlines in the sporting pages about the mountains of debt that River had the yeah. colossal amount of debt that Independiente had, Racing, even Boca were, were pretty snowed under, even if their kind of day-to-day turnover was was pretty uh, pretty healthy. Now you're looking at, I don't think, I think River are close to balancing the budget if you take into account the Libertadores prize money and a couple of sales. I think uh, their, their last um, accounts just came out and there was... A little bit of controversy from there because it was kind of cut just before this this kind of Libertadores windfall. windfall. Racing as well, I think, if they're not working on a, on a budget surplus, they're very close. Mm. In the Benin deal, you could probably look and say they're one of the guys who could use a bit of work uh, they, they still in had, balancing um, the books. Because they've had in the last 11 or 12 years the stadium hanging over them though. Yeah, well, which but, obviously was largely paid for by Sergio uh, Aguero's first transfer to Europe, and then indeed wasn't paid for it anymore, and then yeah. was again when he moved clubs. And yeah. Uh, but yeah, they've, they've had that to deal with. Yeah, I've um, had the advantage of having uh, Hugo Machano, the, the trade union leader, uh, in charge, and he's basically I don't know enticed or or compelled a lot of 
kind of delivery companies to get involved with sponsorships. So that's held them out. Compelled with baseball bats. Um, this is a good for the lawyers. Yes. Don't, don't write in. Yeah. Those lawyers, please. Um, so, yeah, generally, I think all four of the five top clubs, at least, have been fairly decently run, at least mm-hmm. on a on a financial perspe- perspective. And then you have others like Tacheres coming up with a lot of financial backing, albeit in a very controversial yes. model for Argentine clubs. Defensive, Defensive with DC, with DC, too, obviously, of course. with their yeah. current um, relationships with certain agents and whatnot. Um, and it's an interesting thing, but I think by and large, the, the, the driving thing behind it has been a slightly less, for whatever reason, a slightly less short-term um, effect. Um, and I think that that is showing. Yes. Uh, Nick also says, I would love to hear as well where you think Argentine league football is heading stylistically in the near future to which my answer is I think it's going to be starting to move into the late 20 uh, the, the, the late noughties um, from the European point of view quite soon I would hope but one of the things that is a real kick in the shins in terms of, the, of being able to catch up in that regard is a lack of fullbacks um, so stylistically it's really tricky to work out because width is everything and it's still something that is not um, particularly valued by most of the clubs not by all of the clubs Mm. um, in in Argentina Um, fullback is not a position that we have a load of kids coming through Mm. in in local football so it's difficult to say yeah I'll say in Primera at the moment Racing are one of the few clubs that really um Attacks with their fullbacks. They've obviously got the luxury of having an Argentina international in Renzo Saravia and a Chile international in Eugenio Menia mm. to do so, uh, which always helps. But it's something. It's a it's a resource that that Colette makes makes heavy use of, and it's been fun to watch. I'm I'm very much in favour of it. Tom Robinson says, "What is your favourite inflatable tunnel in Argentine football?" To which. I think for the last couple of days now, we can only have one answer, can't we? Yeah. The Shark, I think, think has been defined. It's a big favourite and has been for a long time. But uh, as Dan says, it was thoroughly dethroned on Monday evening when Argentinos Juniors um, unveiled a... I'm not sure whether to call it magnificent or terrifying homage to... Magnifying? Yes. That could could be it. Terrificent. Um, homage to the man their stadium is named after Mm -hmm. Um, a screaming Diego Maradona uh, has been immortalised in inflatable tunnel form uh, with as I put it on Twitter on Monday night Argentinos players bursting forth alien like from his chest Mm -hmm. uh, when they run out onto the pitch and because this is Argentina as well of course this has already been Simpsonised in a video I don't know if you've seen it I haven't no Someone took the one of the videos of the of the tunnel being inflated and screaming Maradona gradually coming to life and put over it the track where McBain, the Argentine, yeah, Argentine the Simpsons, the Simpsons character movie star, uh, finds it, sees his partner has died at the hands of um, a gangster and screams Mendoza, and it's very funny. Were there his, his sons there? No, wasn't there. Weren't there the, the sons that he has already... Oh, of course, yeah. Maradona's got another couple of kids. Uh-huh. And uh, his daughter is quite unhappy about this. Um, 
No, sorry, not yeah. a couple. Another three kids yes. in Cuba. Wouldn't you be too if you saw your inheritance get cut another almost thirty percent? Indeed. Um, but yeah, that, I think that that, that one is is a fairly. Yes. It's obviously what Tom was getting yeah. at with the question. Uh, and thank you very much for providing yeah. us with an excuse to mention it, Tom. Even though obviously Dan was going to bring it up earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, but the yeah, one, that, there's not much contest. The one that so. said that the news uh, stadium was the best is a news uh, supporter. So yes, we, we yeah we, we have had um, a photograph of, of one of the uh, news ones, which is just a big news shirt. I mean, it's not bad, but. Yeah. It's not screaming marathon. Feel free to tweet in your own pictures of inflatable player tunnels, yeah. and we will retweet them from the Hand of Pod account. In fact, I'll retweet that one yes. right now because I just realised. I think news. Really what they need to do now to up the ante is get uh, Marcelo Bielsa sitting on a cooler, right? Yes. An inflatable Bielsa sitting on a cooler. The ball's in your park, news. We know. We know that news in English listens to this. So if you have any contacts at the club, yes, make it happen. Make it happen. Nate Kubeta says, any thoughts on Nicolas Gaetan? My Chicago Fire have just completed his signing and I didn't see much of him with either Argentina, Atletico or in China. Well, nor three, we... three years ago, wasn't he supposed to move to Manchester United? Uh, supposedly. <laughs> so, something went wrong. Yeah. Oh, yeah, wrong. But then he was, linked with, he was linked with Man United almost every transfer window for a period of about four yeah. and a half years. I guess he's a player who's always flattered to deceive a bit. Would that be the fairest way to say? I think he, we yeah. thought he would be better than he finally was. Yeah. G- given the level of talent, I, I mean, I, I, I always quite liked him, but it was obvious why he wasn't sort of getting much of a gig beyond no disrespect, but the Portuguese league and, and sort of Atletico, why, why no real giants of European football were coming in for him when it frequently turned out that the Man United links were bollocks. Um, I think he's a very talented player. He, he was a very talented player. The level that he's been playing at for the last couple of years, no idea. Because he should take MLS to pieces, right? Exactly. I, I mean, you would think that with his age, his experience, and, and what he was capable of at his peak, you, you would think that he's, he's going to be a good signing at MLS level. Um, he's not, you know, a Gonzalo Martinez level signing in the medium to long term, because I've heard that Martinez has had a few problems with his teammates mm-hmm. recently. and um, hasn't been tracking back quite as much as some of Atlanta's fans would like but then of course Atlanta got a new manager to do. they have lost to, to Monterrey right and the Conca Champions they lost 3-0 last week and actually did they play last night or is yeah, it tonight they went out I, I don't know what the result was but they're out I, I, I thought they were playing tonight so yeah, I, I think Monterrey passed yeah, yeah. anyway um, yeah Gaitan should do okay at MLS but do let us know if, if you're an American and you're going to be watching him, then please keep us filled in with all of the Argentines really at MLS because we don't get to see it down here until the playoffs start. Um, Chris Hartley. Wow, we haven't heard from him in a while. Hello, Chris. Oh, as he acknowledges, in fact, he says, I'm back after a while away <laughs> to ask a question. What is your favourite ground outside the Big Five to visit and watch a game? Hmm. Interesting question. I'm going to go for Argentinos because I... Taken a lot of people to Argentinos. <laughs> they used to let us into the museum. It's always good fun, even if the match was yeah. crap. Cologne Stadium's good fun. And for sheer just picturesque beauty, the Estadio Kempes is a cracker in Córdoba. I have not been to either of those. No? I did enjoy oh, the most oh, yeah. in, um, in Rosario, Newell's Stadium. I, I always admire the Vélez uh, quality of the, of the pitch. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I am not talking about the, the environment or the peop- or the crowd, which is not specially fully crowded, uh, but uh, they, 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 I don't know how they made it, make it, but they have all the time a great, great pitch there to play. 
Oh, God, I cruise is quite nice. Well, it's nice, yeah. nicely situated in a big park. Looking over. Yes, that is true. I've been to I say Godoy Cruz. I mean, obviously, the municipal stadium in Mendoza yes. where Godoy Cruz play now because Godoy Cruz's own stadium is rather less impressive. <laughs> um, but they haven't played there for years. Uh, Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, says, Where next for Fernando Gago? Which club could take him given his injury record or will he just retire? Gago officially rescinded his contract with Boca as we'd already knew it was going to happen. We, we mentioned it a couple of months ago. Um, that happened, I can't remember whether it was yesterday or earlier today, but it, mm-hmm. it has now happened. Um, I suspect he's going to retire. I would think so, yes. But I don't know whether he's actually made a decision or, or said anything publicly. People about say there's a rumour that he could, if he continues playing, he could join uh, um, Vélez as he, when he first came to, came to Argentina, played six months for Vélez, not a lot of matches, um, and he thinks he... Uh, owes Vélez something mm. but uh, of course it will depend on how he feels physically and also uh, on how Vélez feel about that yeah I can't I mean, see him fitting into Vélez's system maybe if it was a year ago and Vélez was struggling and, and needed uh, a midfielder of, yeah. of Gago's quality and Naus to come in you could see it but at the moment they're doing really quite well yeah, so I can't, I can't really see them finding a place for it uh, Liam also says, in response to Tom's question, the best inflatable talent is Aldo Sivi, who wouldn't be intimidated by a green and yellow shark. So that's Liam's two cents on that one. Nacho Tierno says, what are your predictions for the relegation battle? Any favourite side to stay up between Patronato, Belgrano and Tigre? You know, I honestly don't have a clue. It's Patronato, Belgrano and San Martín de San Juan, of course, who are the ones who are actually tied on points. Tigre are three behind. Mm. So I, I, I think ultimately the Tigre are going to go down. I think San Martín and Tucumán are going to go down. Those are the two teams who are adrift. You're really sticking your neck out there. Yeah. <laughs> and then from those three teams who are level on points, shall we remind ourselves of the run-ins again of each of them? Um, Why not? Because I can't remember who has to play who. This means I've got to... Oh, bloody hell, work out this. If you do it on the computer, it's going to be a lot quicker just going through oh, the rounds. Actually, that's yes. a really good point because uh, Belgrano English has very helpfully tweeted to me as well. A um, matches remaining. So, uh, San Martin have Argentinos Juniors at home, I assume, Colón away, and Tacheres at home. Uh, the San Martin bad. de San Juan. Um, right. Uh, Patronato have Defensa Justicia at home, Godoy Cruz away, and Argentinos Juniors at home. Belgrano have. Racing away, Lanús away, Godoy Cruz at home. Mm. 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 So those three, Mixed bag. the one who I think have the biggest chance of dropping the most points, in other words, the teams who I think are going down, oh, we have to choose two of those, don't we, because there are two teams relegated from these three. I think Belgrano, more or less on the basis that they've got Racing, Mm-hmm. And they've got two away games in the last three. The other two have both got two home matches. Um, which then leaves you switching between so Patronato and San Martín de San Juan. I'm going to say Belgrano San Martín because Patronato are going to beat Defensa Justicia 3 now this weekend. See, it's for precisely that reason <laughs> that I think it might well be San Martín de San Juan to stay up. But I, I just think Argentinos Colón Tacheres looks a bit easier to me than Defensa. Godoy Cruz away and then finishing at Argentinos which is Patronato's running it would be incredible if Patronato actually escaped to rele- relegation given how crap they were before before Christmas yeah um, really incredible 
Yeah, Only because of the way they are playing, and I, I said it before, uh, I, sh I think Tigre should, should sa be safe, but uh, of course it's very difficult. And Belgrano, uh, Patronato, and the Chusa Martins, San Juan and Tucumán, uh, relegated, but uh, I know Tigre is really, really com uh, com committed to, or sorry, it's uh, hard for them to... to yeah, I, I, think, I think playing Racing and River in the last two games is... Yes. is as I've said several times in the last few weeks, I think that's what's going to do for Tigre ultimately. Uh, Darren Paul says, what do you make of the news that Ricky Misha is the padrino of the Racing Club UK filial Londres? Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. We're happy. Um, if you don't know what we're talking about and if you don't know what the words padrino and filial and Londres mean, because you don't speak Spanish, um, then Darren uh, and the other folk at Racing Club UK, the Twitter account, um, are uh, they've become an official uh, racing uh, filial fan club? Um, Londres is the Spanish for London, so they are the official racing fan group in London, mm -hmm. and they have uh, been officially named after Ricky Visha. So congratulations! We're very happy to hear it. Indeed. Belgrano English says for Golasso. I tried to for Golasso Argentino Peter's website. Um, I tried to figure out who will survive the Promedios. I tried to be unbiased, but ended up picking Belgrano to stay up. I'm shocked. <laughs> and he says, looking at each team's remaining schedule, what is your pick? We have, of course, just given our answer to that one. Um, sort of. Yeah. So, there you go. Sorry if it disappointed you, uh, Jimmy. Um, Perfect Tommy says, you've just been promoted to be the head of okay. the Superliga. What is the first thing you do? How long are we head of the Superliga for? I don't know. Is that long enough to funnel suitcases of dollars out and then skip cut the country? It wouldn't be that. No? We, we've criticised people for that for too long. Well, you know. <laughs> so that's damn good. Does that say what I I'm going to get on my high horse. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to say, though. I, I'm going to reduce the... the I'm, I'm going to actually press ahead with reducing the um, number of teams in the Superliga to a sensible number and then putting in a one-season-long European-style league championship. Because that's what's been lacking for too long. And also move it again to uh, uh, February to November, December season so that it lines up with the Libertadores. Could you scratch the, um, the premium TV packages as well, please? Oh, yeah, we can sort that out. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Excellent. I oh, will right, yeah. quit the Bromedias first and then... Mm. And that. Yeah. And I will make uh, teams... Of course, I don't know how will I will uh, achieve that, but uh, make teams or the youngsters... Uh, to play three seasons in a team, so to, to I think that to goes go beyond the league's remit. That would be an AFA directive, probably. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, but yes, in short, a lot of some of these things we have to say are, are things that supposedly they're trying to do anyway. Um, but I would make sure that they get done because there have been certain reversals, particularly regarding the structure of the championship in future years, um, on from what we were promised earlier. Oscar Pert Mulder says, what is Ricky Centurion up to? God, you have to ask. He gave an interview um, either Sunday or Monday where he was very contrite and said, I'm very sorry for what happened. I'm going to do better. I need to work on my craziness. Which, yes, he's correct. He, he was right to apologise. He was crazy and he probably does need to work on it. Um, the question is... I, I think it's, it's a fair bit like, to say he's not going to be featuring again in these three games, and I would imagine he would be 
looking for a new club more than that we it's can't a bit like so. Julio Buffarini chucking a Rabone in against his old teammates and then going oh I realised as soon as I did it that I shouldn't have because his teammates wanted to take his head <laughs> off um, so, somewhere along the line Ricky Centurion has realised that he maybe shouldn't have done some of those things yes you know most of his life to date <laughs> um, and now he's regret he, he, he has shown himself like he's sorry but then but before that he sent a letter or uh, how do you say the carta documento uh, because he was relegated to the to the reserves mm-hmm. uh, and, and he didn't accept that and now yeah, he's essentially he sent a legal notice saying that he considered himself to be being constructively dismissed by Racing mm-hmm. that would be the best UK English way that I could yes. put it I think um, and yeah which didn't really seem to hold water and also which no. he claimed to have sent and a couple of days after it had been sent by which time they should have received it Rassing said that they hadn't received anything so whether he actually had sent it or whether he'd just gone into a post office taken the picture of it and then you know like for, <laughs> for publicity or whatever it was a little bit confusing as to whether it had actually been sent or not might have just been a birthday card to his niece or something I don't know yeah uh, Little Bird says with Poncio being rested more and more do you think that we River um, should move away from the double five especially since Enzo Perez is playing better when not alongside Poncio of course I'm also saying this because that may give us more Ferreira and I'm 110% on the hype train but I digress Andres? Um, yes possibly I, I, I think that um, Poncio is clearly less mobile than he was and he's not uh, he's not playing badly but he, he's not playing on the same level that he was a few years ago either um, I think it makes sense to start marginalising now because he's also my age, 34-ish, something cool. like that. And, um, and when Perez and Sokolini played, uh, I think he was in the command. Yeah. They did it so decently. Uh, so yes, Ponce, I think he will, uh, of course, not good for him, but uh, uh, he won't have a lot of space in the, in the first team. And well, Gallardo, I think that knows this, knows he's not at his best level and physically form, physical form, so uh, yes, uh, I think that is Enzo Perez and when Enzo Perez has had to play more in the right side, yeah. he did it better, uh, appearing like a surprising uh, interior or, or mixed uh, midfielder other than the sticking in the middle and yeah. being a number five. I'd agree with that, I, I think a 4-1 Three two or a four three three is a better look for River at the moment than the four two three one that they seem to be largely sticking with, or, or the four four two which they've played at times as well, including last night. Um, so yes, essentially, I, I agree with uh, with what Little Bird is saying. Um, that's it for this week. I'll be back in a minute with Mystic Sam and my predictions for this weekend. So keep listening. Okay, this weekend, this is the first time I'm seeing most of these fixtures. Uh, on Friday, Gimnasia versus Newells. I'm going to go for a Newells win there. Uh, have you got a Pendle? Oh, no, this Pendle's working. Patience. Uh, Aldo versus Colón. I'm going to go for a draw. Saturday, Beres Sarsfield versus Atletico Tucumán. I think Beres will edge that one. Union versus Lanús. I'm going for... Ooh. Hmm. I'll go for a draw, I think. 
Oh, this weekend is the start of the lunchtime kickoffs as well. We're back to pre five o'clock kickoffs, that's a shame. San Martín de San Juan versus Argentinos Juniors. I think is a draw. Racing versus Belgrano. I'll go for a Racing win there. Patronato versus Defensa y Justicia. I'm going for a Defensa y Justicia victory. That match at the moment is scheduled. Oh, they are scheduled in fact for different days. Racing play Belgrano Saturday evening. But uh, Patronato versus Defensa y Justicia is the 11am kickoff on Sunday. Oh, they're back. Excellent. Because what we forgot to mention, apart from the fact that the 11 o'clock kickoffs are back, is that Defensa y Justicia have made a request to the Superliga. Um, to play not only the last weekend obviously they'll be kicking off at the same time on the last weekend because they're playing each other but also playing the penultimate weekend matches at the same time as Racing um, indeed it does anyway sorry so Patronato versus Defensive Justicia Defensive Justicia win Tacheres versus Tigre is a draw I think sorry Tigre fans Rosario Central versus San Lorenzo I'm going to stick my neck out and think that Central are going to edge that River versus Independiente. I'll go for a River win. San Martín de Tucumán versus Boca Juniors is a Boca Juniors win. Banfield versus Godoy Cruz. I'm going for Banfield in that one, which will be Crespo's second win as manager. And Huracán versus Estudiantes de la Plata, I think, is Huracán. Some interesting fixtures. Yes. Now that I've looked over that. River Independiente could be entertaining maybe depending on which independent side to show up um, but Patronato versus Defensa Justicia is probably going to be a bit one-sided quality wise but in terms of what it means for the relegation and title races potentially interesting as indeed is Racing Belgrano uh, the previous evening yeah, two games that are definitely uh, going to be hotly contested I think that's it's fair to say yeah um, Central versus San Lorenzo I think is my match to miss this weekend um, the return of Balsa to oh no Balsa's gone no it's not we've done this before Dan. we did this yes. last week uh, yes he's not there anymore Paolo he's Ferrari there. is the Central uh, manager now didn't he um, play in San Lorenzo at one point he played for River for quite yes. some time before he went back to Central I can't remember whether he played for San Lorenzo uh, anyway I've just realised we forgot to mention our, our image of the weekend. I'm going to go for Nicolas Fernandez completing his hat-trick for Defensa Udicia. The image of the weekend is, of course, in conjunction with our sponsors, Fanatis, um, who provide you with the best image of the Superliga, regardless of where you are, as long as you're outside Latin America. Um, remember that you can check out Fanatis' offering at fntz.co slash hop. And you can type in the discount code H-O-P-F-Z or H-O-P-F-Z if you're American. And if we had get... to choose a runner-up, it would be the Maradona Tunnel, right? For the image yes, of the weekend. Yes, it yes. would be, yeah. Just to make that safe. Uh, use that discount code H-O-P-F-Z to get 20% off the first three months of your Fanatis subscription. Just remember, please, to go to fntz.co, that's C-O, slash hop, H-O-P, um, in order to let them know that we are the ones who sent you. And even if you're not thinking of signing up, it still helps us if you go to that link. Uh, so please do. Uh, thank you very much to Fanatis as ever for sponsoring the podcast. And thank you to Andres and Dan for being with me this week. For now, it's goodbye from Andres. Thank you and goodbye. From Dan. Thank you and good night. And from me, goodbye.
There is one uh, full-time score to tell you about in the Copa Libertadores. It was an 11 o'clock kickoff uh, Argentine time. It was actually a 9 o'clock kickoff locally because uh, it was in Ecuador. Um, and that was Emelec nil, Huracan nil. Um, I didn't watch it because it kicked off at 11 o'clock and it's only available on Facebook in Latin America. So I can't tell you anything about it, I'm afraid. Bye.